glasses are fogging up again. Um, Anita, alcoholic. My sobriety date is April 30th, 2019. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I sponsor women. Um, Really fucking full circle coming back here. Um, So a little bit about me, or a lot of it, depends. I feel weird because Ruby had to be extra and put a microphone on me. So just letting y'all know, I feel weird. <laughs> like be coming back here wasn't weird enough. All right, so yeah, I got sober through North Palm. It was like A&S at the time, but we'll get into that. Um, I had my first drink when I was eight years old. Um, my dad was in the Navy and we moved around a lot. And I was always looking for a way in my sick child mind to get my dad to stay around. So in my head at eight years old, when he was like hanging outside with his Navy buddies, drinking in my dad's Puerto Rican, like this much rum and like this much Coke. And you know, (laughs) that's just how it is. And he gave it to me and he was like, drink some. And I drank like a good amount of it. And I didn't really get an effect from it that time, but I noticed like I did start like, acting weird. I didn't feel anything in my body. I didn't have like a reaction besides like noticing how other people viewed me. So I all, so my dad like was, and his friends were laughing at me and having like a good time. And they thought it was funny that this like eight year old was drinking. So I was like, cool, this is how I get my dad to stay around. Cause that's, you know, a very sick individual. It's like, this is what I got to do with my life. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, I kind of went from there. I, my family life was very chaotic when I was a kid. My dad was gone for like eight to nine months out of the year on a submarine doing whatever he did, working to provide for my family. And my mom was basically a stay-at-home mom taking care of me and my sister. And we would like, we didn't live around family because we were Navy brats. We moved so much, didn't have any family near us. The closest family was in New York. So like, who's gonna make that drive more than once a year? <laughs> um, so it was just, we were all, my mom was very dependent on us emotionally. And as I like started becoming a teenager, as women know, like all oh, these emotions start coming up. I didn't know what to do with them. And my dad would always just tell me, like, if I got angry, like, hold it in. Don't show, like, any emotion. Like, I wasn't allowed to cry. I was expected to be, like, a tomboy. I was expected to be, like, a certain way for him. And I was a daddy's girl and wanted him to do nothing but stay near me, so I did whatever he told me to do. Um, He was very physically abusive. He drank a lot, but I, I can't say he's an alcoholic because that's not for me to say. Um, My mom would, whenever he would come back in town, she, everything had to be perfect. We had, no matter what was going on in our lives, we had to just pretend like everything was perfect for this one day. So like, who wants to come back in town after eight months and pretend that like, oh, this daughter's doing this and this daughter's doing that and they have feelings, God forbid. So I would always have to put on this facade that like I was stronger than I was and that I could take care of myself emotionally at a very young age. Um, When I was 11, 
I started cutting myself because I didn't know what else to do with any of these emotions that I had. And that was the only thing that made me feel better. I was in and out of psych wards. I just wanted to die. I was so miserable and I had nobody to talk to. And anytime I did try to talk to somebody, I never saw that person again. My mom tried to put me in therapy um, only because somebody else told her to. And every therapist I saw once like I opened up to them and they would point out like they would sit down like after would like do a little family thing like with my mom and me and like my dad if he was there which never happened and they would be like well this is what you're doing to my mom to like make her do this and like maybe you should change your behaviors my mom would shut it down and I would never see this woman again I was lucky enough to have like one of the therapists out of the many that like taught me how to meditate at 12 years old that basically saved my life from a, another form of escape, but a healthy form of escape. <laughs> um, so that was cool. I don't know, like I presented as a completely normal human being. I went to school, I was very intelligent. I like I passed middle school on like a technicality because I was in a mental hospital. They couldn't fail me. Um, so that was nice. Um, I can't with you. Um, I don't know. Things were really tough for a long time. There was for like um, my mom was physically abusive to me as well. And I wasn't the greatest kid. I screamed, I, like I was very disrespectful to my parents and they weren't gonna have that. So one night my mom like, she hit me and threw me down the stairs and I ran away to my friend's house and I was like, this is the smart thing to do. <laughs> and my, the, my friend's mom took me to the hospital because I had a broken wrist at the time and when my mom threw me down the stairs she like twisted it around and fucked it up more so like she did the smart thing and took me to the hospital my mom on the way to the hospital was cut off by a car and um car was totaled she wasn't even driving and uh she almost died and I just remember sitting I was a uh, 11 or 12 years old sitting in this hospital bed, terrified, not knowing what's going on. And all I can hear like with the cop that I'm talking to on his police radio is um, them explaining, them saying my mom's name and saying that they couldn't put her on the same floor as me because of the abuse. <clears throat> but still, I don't know what happened. They put her in the room next to me. And she was completely out of it. I couldn't, they wouldn't let me go in there. And when I tried to go in there, she told them that she didn't want to see me because it was my fault. So for the next year of my life, she sent me away to live with this horrific family. I don't even know how these people were her friends because they were like, at the time they were like, well, probably still now they still exist. I don't know why. <laughs> um, why I'm saying like they don't exist anymore. They don't in my mind. Um, they, she sent me away to live in another city with this family that were friends of hers. And every day I would wake up and they had like all this money, which my family didn't have. So like it presented as very nice once again to the courts. It was presented as this beautiful house with like this caring couple that was taking care of this horrible child just out of consideration of her mom. And every morning I would wake up. I would have to cook for myself. I was again like 12 years old. I did everything for myself. They did not 
really speak to me. I was completely neglected. The only time the husband would speak to me was to inform me that my mom almost died because of me, that she was having another surgery because of me, that she was going through all of these horrible things and it was all my fault. So the only solution I had at that time was to, of course, kill myself because my dad wouldn't talk to me, my sister and I were never close. Um, my family from out of town didn't know what was going on because my parents chose not to tell them. So I was completely alone. And so I tried to kill myself. And I was in and out of the mental hospitals again. And finally, I like through this process, I learned how to be like even a better manipulator of like, oh my God, those cuts are from a year ago. Or like, ah, those aren't new and just like know exactly what to say to not be locked up. Eventually, like I was able to play the system. I have no idea what happened with court. I blocked it out so well that I, even if I ask my mom today, she won't tell me what happened. So all I know is that she didn't get in trouble and somehow I got on probation. Don't know how that happened. Um, not sure, I have so many questions still. <laughs> um, Basically, after that, I like was able to go home like a year later and just learned how to exist in that house with this family that did not want me there. It was very closed off. They, I would go downstairs and they would all be like sitting down eating dinner and they wouldn't invite me. They would send me to my room and I would go drink um, and smoke weed because I was 13 <laughs> and that's all I could do. Um, things like after that, like I just did not want to exist in life. I existed just by getting by that day. Um, I had everybody in my life like fooled that like this was how I presented. Once again, I was so strong and nobody could ever hurt me. And my, fa my family was still very physically abusive to me, but like that was fine because I was going to get out of there. Um, I would, when I was in high school, I would show up to school drunk and high, and I would bring beer to school and liquor. It was like normal 15-year-old, 16-year-old behavior, apparently. And I would, nobody ever really stepped in f to stop any of this. They, my parents knew what was going on. They just did not care because, like, they were sending my sister off to this great college, and she was just doing wonderful in life, and I was the fuck up, and they allowed, and they were just like, go for it. Um, I just like went through life getting by doing like just trying to numb myself and then of course like um, I started working like a full-time job in high school don't know how that's legal it probably isn't um, just to get out of my house and save up money to get a car to get the fuck out of there so I can but of course like I spent all of my money I had a, I bought the car but like you know it's like early 2000s it was a piece of shit car but it got me from like to the liquor store where I could shoulder tap for liquor so you know it did its job um like everything was like I was all everybody I grew up with I grew up in a navy town so I don't know if anybody knows about navy towns it's all alcoholics so like that's normal behavior um it's like, and then if you're a drug addict, you keep that shit to yourself. Like certain drugs are okay, but like once you get to like the bad drugs, you don't talk about it. Um, and like, so when I was like 18, I was just doing enough to get by. Once again, I didn't graduate, but I did like get my GED and I was super proud of that because I didn't have to go to school. <laughs> and I was 
Like I was like, see, I'm smart, which I was. I just didn't, couldn't stay sober long enough to care. Um, oh yeah, when I was 18, I met a dude. <laughs> that was gonna be the answer to everything. He was, first of all, I was 18, he was 21. He could buy me liquor. Um, that was like number one priority because like shoulder tapping sucks and it's super dangerous where I'm from. <laughs> um, so I met him and he was gonna be the answer to everything. I stopped, I was never really home so my mom was just, she kicked me out on the day I turned 18 and I was like, oh solution, he has a house, I'll just go live with him. And he was very abusive. <laughs> um, he, uh, we both drank heavily and used drugs very heavily and we weren't the best people to each other. Um, but it, what else did I know? This is what I thought I deserved because it's, he, he was my dad. He took care of me, but like not in the right ways. He made sure I had my alcohol and drugs, so therefore like perfect. Um, so this went on for years. Like I started doing like, of course, like alcohol just wasn't doing it anymore. I moved on to other things. Can I talk about drugs here? I'm in an IOP, cool. <laughs> Forget where I'm at sometimes, I'm not in an AA meeting. I can talk about dry goods without calling them dry goods. I sold a lot of drugs. Um, <laughs> I sold a lot of drugs. I had like, for some, somehow like we had like this pharmacy connection, that was cool. Did a lot of, a lot of coke, a lot of everything and had a lot of fun. And then like, I w next thing I knew I was 23 and the dude I was with was like, I'm gonna join the Navy. And I was like, that sounds like a horrible idea. And I was like, and I was like, okay, well, what are you gonna do with the house? This is, <laughs> and he's like, well, I can leave it to my dad. I was like, your dad's a heroin addict. That's the worst idea in the world. And he's like, I can leave it to my brother. I was like, your brother's an idiot, worser idea. So and then he's like, well, we can get married. I was like, well, you know, we might as well. Like if we get married, I can go to school for free. Like this would like solve some problems because I don't have, I never had like a real idea of what love is. Like I just thought it was a partnership and then like you sold drugs together and this is what you did. And you beat the fuck out of each other. And like, you know, this is what love is. So I got married. That did not solve anything. <laughs> that made everything <laughs> worse. Um, you know. <laughs> I, my drug addiction got worse because when I was 25, I had this epiphany that I was an alcoholic and I was like, okay, I couldn't wake up without shaking. I started having like everything the big book talks about that mental obsession was always there and that, and the craving for alcohol and other things was always there. But the physical reaction to not drinking started getting greater. So my solution was to stop drinking. So that was a fun detox in bed but at home. Um, and then I just went and started doing other drugs because I had to do something to numb the pain. I was in like a loveless marriage. I'm pretty sure we did love each other at one point. It just wasn't a healthy thing. Um, and we, like I mentioned, we sold a lot of drugs. Um, like everybody around us was dying um, everybody was, that I grew up with was either killing themselves or dying of overdoses, so this was normal behavior. My father-in-law was a horrible, horrible, horrible heroin addict, and I like saw him overdose and almost die multiple times. And I was like, I will never do that. I'm so above that. I fucking did it. 
I did the fuck out of some heroin. It won't, probably won't even heroin. But it was years ago, so it probably was. Um, <laughs> shut up, Rebus. Um, I don't know, like I got addicted to Roxy's because I sold them. And then like my friend who's dead now, like I had, I had like um, really bad back pains from like years of being thrown <laughs> down the stairs and like abuse from like multiple people. So like painkillers made sense to me. And then when the painkillers were taken away from me because husband found out that I had an addiction, he was like, okay, maybe 30, 30s a day isn't healthy. So I'm gonna, like, he tried to taper me, that didn't work, I just kept stealing them because we sold them. Um, and things just got, like, progressively worse from there. And then, like, at a, like, one day I was just, like, so dope sick. I was in bed and I was like, well, fuck this. I'm gonna go get some real drugs. And I called my friend and got some heroin for the first time. I was able to do heroin for like a couple months, like not like a heroin addict and put it down. Never thought about it again until a few years later <laughs> when that mental obsession came creeping back. I went to school for years and um, never really did anything with any, I never got a degree because I kept changing my degrees. And eventually like I decided that I needed to change something about me. And I was also like in debilitating pain all the time. I was like walking with a lamp and like I was just like my body was fucked. So at 25, they were like, I finally found a surgeon that was like, yeah, I would do a spinal fusion on you because that makes sense. And I was like, bet, let's do it. Um, I did that was the best decision of my life besides getting sober because I was able to function in life yeah they gave me a lot of drugs that was nice too because like that was a very long recovery but after that I was like I want to be a nurse I'm gonna help people and it's gonna be amazing because the people that helped me after my surgery were amazing so I went to school to be a nurse I worked in a hospital that um, it would be like what's like an LPN but it was like for the specific hospital and one day I was working and I worked nights and I, one day I was just like, I don't know, I was in pain. <laughs> and I was just like, you remember what felt really good? Heroin. But this time I'm gonna fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna bang it. <laughs> just like that mental obsession crept back out of nowhere. And, next, and then I knew who to hit up. I knew where to get it. That was never an issue. And things turned dark very quickly. I like, well, see, like, that's the thing. Once again, I was able to pick it up for like six months and put it back down. I was high at work helping, helping patients. And like, I was like, it's okay because, you know, like I'm saving lives at the end of the day if I'm shooting dope in the bathroom, <laughs> like it's okay. Um, but then I stopped. Um, I was never sober. I was on like Xanax the whole time when I was at the hospital and that was allowed because it was prescribed. And I was on like other painkillers, but but heroin brought me to my knees a few like a year later I, that mental obsession came back again i never knew how, uh, like i just went for it that time things got bad quicker this was also around the same time fentanyl became a thing and next thing i knew i lost a job i crashed my car i crashed a lot of cars because i was also like a fucking alcoholic at the age of 14 so like a lot of cars um but this time like i almost like I hurt somebody else. I'm pretty sure I did, I don't know. I avoided it at all costs. Like I flipped another car on the interstate going, 
I had like a really nice car. I missed that car. Probably shouldn't have had a turbo, like high as fuck, but I did. Um, it was really, it was a really fucked up situation, but I was like, and I wasn't even high. I was like on my way to work and like I was going to meet the dope man at work because he used to meet me at the hospital and I like was so dope sick. And I just remember I had this moment where like I had like all like this bag of paraphernalia on me and this person ran up to my car and they were like, just give me what you have and I'll get rid of it. I've never seen this human being in my life. And I was like, well, if you're a cop, I'm already fucked. So what's, what have I got to lose? I just gave them like what I had, never saw that person again. So when they searched my car after the accident, they didn't find shit. They tried to take me to the hospital I worked at. I refused treatment, got out the ambulance and called my husband to come pick me up. And then I got myself well, <laughs> never, um, things got really bad. I overdosed like before I like ever thought of like going to a meeting I overdosed like eight or nine times um I was like always had Narcan on hand I taught my husband how to do CPR because like that made sense even though I never wanted to come back the suicidal ideations never left they were always there I always wanted to kill myself and this was seemed like just a better way to do it because I'd feel good while I died and things just it was just this haze of chaos and self-destruction and everything was so gloomy and i did not see an out and one day i was watching something on tv when i was detoxing myself like not out of choice i just ran out of money and i was like well i can like either go and do like some fucked up shit to get well or i can um, I don't know, I was watching something and they had like an NA meeting up there and I'm from like up north, there's like not AA, like does not want drug addicts. It's a beautiful thing down here in Florida that like AA accepts everybody because where I'm from, they don't fucking do that. I walked into an AA meeting, they turned me away. So that was my first idea of what AA was. They were like, mm, no honey, you have track marks, bye. Um, no, seriously, she told me that. <laughs> Um, and so I was like, okay, fine, I'll fucking go to an NA meeting. And I went to an NA meeting and it was the same thing. I was one of those people that like just went to the meetings to be like, I want to kill myself. I need help. No, I will not accept your help, but this is where I'm at in life. And then I'd go get high because I didn't have a solution. So things didn't get better. I just found out that there was like, Apparently everybody was drug addicts where I'm from. They just didn't fucking talk about it, which I knew I wasn't and I was like always terrified to go to these meetings because I'd see like everybody I grew up with that was still alive, which is exactly what happened. Um, and I did meet like some friends in NA where like the last time I overdosed, I like because this was normal behavior. I was so sick and suffering that me dying like once a week was normal and I thought it was funny that I couldn't fucking handle my fentanyl. Like that's how sick I was. And I called this guy who was like, who I had like was a friend of mine. And he was like, that is not normal behavior, Anita. Maybe you should go to rehab. And I laughed at him. I was like, I don't fucking have money. Like where do you think we live, dude? Like you see where I live, like I don't have money. 
Like, I can't even buy <laughs> my dope. You think I can afford rehab? And then, he, then like, I was like, well, just out of pure spite, I, I Googled it. I don't even know what I Googled. And I was like, well, I'll call a place. And they were like, oh, we accept insurance. I was like, I got that. I was like, I was like, okay. And they were like, yeah, get on a plane. And I was like, fuck you. Um, I don't got money for a plane. Like, I had nothing. I, like, fucked over, like, me and my husband's money so bad with the drug addiction. And I didn't care. I wanted, like, I wanted to kill myself on a daily basis. And I would tell him, I want to die, I want to die. And he would be like, okay, I'm going to go buy a gun and put it in a safe. And therefore, that's safe. <laughs> Very sick individual as well. Um, but eventually, like, I went and told my parents, I was like, look, I need help. I'm going to go to rehab in South Florida. Can you buy me a plane ticket? And they were like, what do you need help with? Because they like to ignore everything. I was like, I have a pill addiction. And <laughs> I couldn't tell them. Like, it would have destroyed them. And they would have made it all about them anyways, which has definitely happened. Um, so that's what happened. And so, like, I took, like... 20 Zanny bars and I jumped on the plane and then I was like on the plane with like 20 there was like some cheerleading convention I definitely wanted to kill myself <laughs> I definitely wanted to kill myself at that point I was like I should have because like before I left I gave like I used to sell my mom my Xanax this is where I like how fucked up my family is so I could go buy dope so I was like mom I'm gonna go buy some suboxone before so I can get on the plane I fucking went and bought dope and of course the dope didn't last till the plane it lasted like 10 minutes and then I was done. And um, so I was like withdrawing, sick. And I was like, I'll be here for a week. That's all I need. I just need that separation. Didn't even know that's what I needed at the time, but definitely. Um, I tried to AMA treatment <laughs> every hour. I was that client. I was so dramatic and outlandish and I knew more than everybody. Yeah. That's why I hated you. <laughs> um, I knew more than everybody. And then I like somehow they just kept talking me in to staying longer. They were like, no, you're really sick. Like it's more than a drug addiction. Like you have some mental health problems. And I was like, I am so healthy. Um, I don't need 30 days. <laughs> so, you know, 30 days turned into 60. And then I was like, oh shit, you know what? My, my relationship's probably abusive. Like, I was, like, started getting honest, and then 30 days turned into 90 days, and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And I was like, I'm so, I was like, I'm so broken. I don't know what to do. Like, if I go back to fucking Virginia, I'm going to die, like, in one way or another, whether it's a gun to my head or a fucking needle in my arm, it's going to happen. And I, like, was on this, um, I'm not a religious person, so I was like, and this was like, they forced us, to, they, they're, they're like, go to church or um, go to Oasis. And I was like, um, well, the dude I was hooking up with went to church, so I was like, I'm going to church. Because, um, you know, priorities. <laughs> so I went to church and I got really upset over what this dude was saying because like everything was against me, I'm such a victim. Um, he was like talking about pagans and I got so offended. I left the church and I like, I had prayed before, like foxhole prayers, like, please don't lock me up. Please don't, like, be, like, fake dope, like, that type of shit. Um, but, like, I actually, like, had a legitimate 
prayer where I was, I know I wasn't crying because wasn't, I wasn't capable of that at that point. Still really not that good at it. Um, but I was able to ask for God's guidance or whatever I believed my God was. And I just did that because like, I don't have a good answer for why I did that because it was just so silly of me to do that at the time. I was like, I need guidance. Like, do I return to Virginia? Like, how am I ever gonna help people again? Because that's the only passion I ever felt in my life was nursing. And then I was like, oh, that was the stupidest thing I ever fucking did. I'm never gonna do that again. I can't believe I sunk to that level. And I was over at Ambrosia um, on Singer. And I remember this kid came running down and he was screaming for Narcan. And without thinking, I just ran to wherever he came from. And this, this other kid was overdosed. And I was just like, and somebody was doing CPR and they were doing it all wrong. And I gotta correct everybody. So I, was, I stepped in to relieve her. And however long passed by, he came too. And this was like, we didn't have Narcan. So like, I just kept doing CPR until he came too. And so I don't know how long it was, but like my adrenaline was going. And then when, I, when everything like calmed down, I was like, oh fuck, I looked around me and I saw all the drugs. And I was like, oh fuck, I'm in PHP. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna be in so much trouble. Because <laughs> this is where my mind goes. I left, uh, this was like over at the halfway next door. And I left and everybody was outside clapping. It was fucking weird. And I got weird and tried to hide um, because I don't like attention. And um, but then that, I realized later that that was God answering my prayers. I didn't matter like how fucked up I was mentally or how like I, the thing that was on my focus that like made me think of this one day, I was like, I'll never be able to be a nurse again because I have track marks all over my arms and hands. Like how, like this is where my mind was at, at like 90-ish days sober. Um, I self-centered, sick, and obsessing about like fucking physical attributes that don't matter. Um, but I was able to save this kid's life and I was like, well, maybe that was God. And after I just, that happened and I admitted to myself and to like the people around me that like maybe the God stepped in there, that things started going easier. I mean, don't get me wrong, thing, my life was still a fucking shit show when I got the, a new start. <laughs> um, so I went, like they somehow talked me into going a halfway and I was like, that sounds horrible. I hated women. I hated like bubbly women because they had all of these emotions that I couldn't physically have. And they were like, oh, well you should go here. I wanted to go to this place in Delray because that's where like my friend and the dude went because you know, that's priorities once again. And once again, God was like, nah, dude, you're going to a new start. I was like, that sounds so stupid. I don't know, none of y'all were, I was the only one here from New Start, but I know you remember a New Start. Oh yeah, well, see you hiding? Good old New Start. Before North Palm, there was a New Start. Um, a New Start, Ugh, Christy came and picked me up from fucking Ambrosia. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, no. She was bubbly and happy. And like, to me, I thought it was fake. 
So I kept looking for it. I was like, where is the other foot gonna drop? Like, she's super happy. I was like, that is not normal behavior. <laughs> like, we get in her car and like, she had, do y'all remember Jordan, yeah. the supervisor? Like, she was playing country music and Christy's like, what kind of music do you like? And I was like, not country music. <laughs> And so like, I was like, put some fucking rap on, like put some real music on, I'm not listening. I don't want to kill myself right now, but I will. And <laughs> so this was my first thing of a new start. And then they shoved me in a house with like all these girls. And like, I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? But I was like, okay, maybe I should actually do this. Like I had been going to AA meetings at Oasis. I hated it. Um, <clears throat> I had no concept of God in my life. I had been doing therapy, but like I always had these male therapists because I could manipulate them and yell at them. And like when you yell at like, at least with my experience, I always had male therapists where I could scream at them and get them off topic. Um, because that's, I didn't want to talk about anything real. Um, actually like ran into one of the guys I used to yell at all the time, like um, with a work thing. And like I had to make amends to him. I was like, you probably don't remember. He's like, oh, I remember you. I was like, yeah, there was a lot of screaming and your office involved. And he was like, no, I remember you. Be, he's like, well, that wasn't nice. But he's like, you saved somebody's life. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that too. I was like, oh, nice. You remember good things because I just remember screaming at you every day. And he was like really grateful and nice. And he was like, oh, look at that. He looked at like my employee of the month plaque. It was very uh, full circle once again, like my life. It was cool, but um, forgot where I was, a new start. Yeah, like was there, I had like a therapist who my first impression of, like she was like female and I was like, oh fuck. Like I remember I was like, and the new start's rooms were really dark. So like you could sleep, <laughs> like I try to sleep in group. Why not? They had like purple walls and they keep everything dim lit. I'd fucking pass the fuck out. And like the one day, like my first day there, they were like, we were talking like about women therapists and I was like talking about like how I didn't like women. And she's like, what are you afraid of getting vulnerable? And I was like, no, I'm afraid I'm gonna hit a bitch. And she's like, oh, hi, I'm Allison. I'm your therapist. <laughs> and I was like, fuck my life. And then a new start shut down. And they were like, and Christy was all sketch because Christy be sketch, like just doing normal things. She's just like the most awkward person in the world. It's great. She was like, get in my car. We got to talk. I was like, what did I do? I was like trying to think back to like if I went and smoked crack and didn't remember because it's a possibility. And um, just never know, dude. I was a pretty fucked up individual, dude. <laughs> but like she was like well a new start shutting down and we're only taking certain clients and this I was like well and she's like and I was like well is Allison going she's like yeah Allison and Carol are going and I was like bet I'll go mm -hmm. like I was like that sounds horrible but I'll fucking go and like we sat in what was promises for like two fucking months without IOP just chilling because <laughs> the North Palm didn't open up for a while because they were like, it's gonna be next week. Todd was like, it's gonna be next week. It was never next week. It was never fucking next week. It was always like, you're gonna hang out here until you die in this like shit house with like way too many women. And I don't know. At the time, like I had, I got a sponsor right, right off rip, but she was, might've been in a cult. 
I don't know. That's what I felt at the time. Uh, she got me in my fourth step within like 20 minutes and that just wasn't for me. I had no understanding of steps one through three. So I didn't do anything for a good while. North Palm opened up and they were like, come down and do your clinical intake. And I was the first client at North Palm. Um, <laughs> somehow still sober. Thank you, God. And Todd. <laughs> No, but like it, I was a miserable piece of shit at North Palm. I made sure everybody knew it. I sat in this group room and we had a therapist at the time that was horrible. I was so mean to him. I just bullied him all day. He'd be like, no vaping, Jamie. And I'd be like, he'd be like, Anita's okay. Because he was afraid of me. I bullied the guy to, so much like he wanted my approval and he was terrified of me, I'm pretty sure. He was, right? It was nice. Um, I don't know, like I just was not getting, at that point I'd been in IOP like for so long, I didn't care. And like all of these like bubbly girls kept coming in and like I had like, I, we, you know, like you have those groups where like you stand in the middle, like it's like, I killed somebody and you get up and stand in the middle. Like it was, um, <laughs> like if you did that, like it wasn't until one of those groups where like my roommate and one of my best friends still to this day was like, damn, I know shit about you. Cause I never told her anything. I went from like being very overly dramatic and telling everybody everything in my life to telling nobody anything. I sat in Allison's office for six months before I told her anything real. One time I cried and Carol witnessed it instead of Allison and Allison was mad because she was out that day. That was like the only time she was ever gonna see me cry. She still counts my tears. It's been like six for the past three years. Six, like six actual tears. <laughs> She really does take, keep track. She got like an app on her phone and everything. Um, but I was just getting by. I didn't have a sponsor. Every week, Christy would be like, Anita, where are you at with a sponsor? And I'd be like, I'm just looking for the perfect woman to enter my life, and then I will start my steps again. Um, I didn't want to work the steps. I didn't have like... I wanted to go get high. That's all I wanted to do, but like I knew something was keeping me here. And like I still kept showing up to groups even though I hated them. People would come in and like remind me of like how I used to be and I'd hate them for it. And it was just like all of the, these people oozing emotion and feelings and talking about how they're vulnerable sickened me. I wanted to stay miserable. So eventually, like somebody in my house was like, give this woman a call, you'll love her. She's sarcastic, she's got tattoos. And I was like, okay, I'll do it because like I can tell Christy I did it. Three years later, she's still my sponsor. <laughs> um, that woman took me through the steps very thoroughly and keeps me honest. My first step took a very long time in my head. We used to meet at Oasis and she'd, I, my sponsor required and still requires me to do a meeting with her to um, meet with me. And I still do that with my girls because I find it very helpful. She, like the first step wasn't that hard for me. I knew I had a problem. I knew I was powerless and my life was unmanageable. That's not an issue. Like that was the problem. I'm well aware of that for my whole life. I ran for 24 years, like well aware that was an issue. Like the issue was like I was 33 in a house full of like 20 year old rubies and like wanting to kill myself. Um, at least that's what I thought at the time. 
Step two took like, I had trouble wrapping my head around God. I was in my head, I was the smartest person in the world. And why would I admit that anything was stronger than me and giving my will over to this power that like I eventually agreed existed was not going to happen. I was too stubborn. Eventually, like, I remember sitting with my sponsor outside of Oasis and she's like, well, will you just agree that I believe? And I was like, well, obviously you believe because like there's something going on there. Like I looked down upon people that believed in God because I was very sick. Cool. I can wrap it up in two. Um, I went through the steps over, over Zoom on COVID and in COVID on Zoom. It was horrific, um, but it gave me time to figure everything out. I like became a house manager to that house and actually cared about all of them, even though I didn't like to show it. I became very vulnerable with some of them. Unbeknownst <laughs> to me and God as to why but everything started falling into place like i'm very blessed today to have like the women and men in my life that support me and love me for who i am i don't have to pretend to be this person anymore that i used to pretend to be i am blessed to take women through the steps every day i work like a very imperfect program um but like i try every day and I'm really grateful to this place because it kept me on my toes all the days that I wanted to kill myself and they never baker acted me. And that's all I got. Uh -huh.